How many of you believe God is good? You got to be careful what you say. We always, you know, we used to say in our church, God is good, and the people would respond. Which means you can never complain again. Because if he's good all the time, there's no room for complaint anywhere. Careful what you say. Well, it's good to be back for the second service today. And you know one thing? I don't teach the same message twice. So this will be different. Um, I'm going to share with you a principle from the Word of God that the Lord taught me about 18 years ago that radically revolutionized my walk with the Lord. You know, growing up, I got saved when I was 14, filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 17, and then started pastoring youth. And um, when we first got saved, my dad had been brought up as a Catholic. He was an altar boy all the days of his growing up, and... Uh, went on to Catholic seminary to become a priest. And it just was not filling the God-sized hole in his heart. So he left that and met my mother and got married. And 17 years, he got saved. Changed all of our lives. That was in 1973, October. That's when I was born again also because I saw the glory of God on him. And so we would, the first thing he did, the only thing he knew is after he got saved, he took us back to the Catholic Church, which um, didn't quite fit the passion of my heart. I was hungry for God, and I wasn't hungry for religion. Now, I love the people. Don't misconstrue that. But that just was not a fit. I, I got so bored after two, you know, two months, I said, look, Dad, why are we going here? I, I can do exactly what he's doing. It's, I mean, it's spelled out for 20 years. Well, it took about a year before my dad decided we maybe should look for something else. And so we went to a church, a little non-denominational charismatic church with Pastor Al Hammond, wonderful man of God. And uh, that's when I really began to delve into Scripture and study the Word. And throughout the years, everywhere I would go, I would, you know, my focus was the Gospels of Jesus, because Jesus said what he did, we could do, right? John 14, 12. And so I would study the Gospels and see how Jesus would do things, and then I would go to church and I would see how the church did things, and you know what? They were diametrically opposed. Sometimes it was so different, I couldn't even recognize what was happening. And I, I, I would dialogue with the Lord and say, Lord, why does he... Why is it you did things this way and the church does things this way? I don't understand. Why is it so different? One day he told me. He said, children always act like children. I said, what do you mean? You ever seen a little, little child that one day gets it into their head that they're going to dress up like mommy and daddy? And so they go into the parents' room and they start taking down their clothes and they, they're going to dress up like mommy and daddy and you come into the room and here's this mound of clothes and two little eyes looking out. Well, that's a start. Scripture says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to, 
to fulfill the lusts thereof. That's what put on, that's the picture of put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to be induyo, to be smeared or covered or, or lost inside of Jesus. So the only thing we can see is your eyes. But then the other thing is, is to walk as he walks. And here's where it got hazy to me. Jesus would speak a word, the church would speak a volume. Jesus would command, we would fight for hours. Once in a while, Jesus would lay hands on people. All the time, it was mandatory to lay hands on people when you pray. Well, again, back to the picture of the child. The child, when they're trying to emulate an adult, comes up with step one, step two, step three, step four. We have this formulaic approach to getting to the end of the situation, to where we want to be. And we look at the life of Jesus, and he already is. And you can see the parallel in, in natural life with a child that grow up until eventually they come to the place of maturity. They don't have to do all the little things that they had to learn to do because now it's so ingrained in them, they walk in that. And so that was the disparity I would see and witness and it always bothered me because we're called to be overcomers and we barely get by. We're called, he says we're victorious, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, and yet we seem to be struggling consistently. And so this question kept going through my heart and my mind. Lord, there's, I know it's in your word, I need a bridge to get from this childlikeness, not childlike faith, you keep that, to, to the place of a mature son. Ladies, that includes you. Guys, you can be a bride. Ladies, you can be a son. And so he started teaching me. One year, every year I pray in the new year and say, Father, what is the theme? What are you speaking to me for this year? And back in the year 2001, he said, I want you to study one word this whole year, one word in Scripture, which is very unusual because I love digging into Scripture in the original languages. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a vacation year. I only have to study one word. Little did I know, I've been studying it for 17 years. The word was name. Now, in every instance but two in the Old Testament, the word name means character, honor, and authority. In every instance but one in the New Covenant, excuse me, the word name means character and authority. It changed everything. In John 1, verse 12, Scripture teaches us, as many as received Him, that's salvation. As many who is, so we could read it this way, as many who is, have accepted the sacrifice of the cross and have received Jesus as Lord, to them He gave the right to become children of God, or the authority, or the privilege, or the ability to become children of God. Another version says sons of God. So here's number one, here's a misnomer that we've carried in the church for many generations. If you're born again, you're a son of God. But this scripture doesn't say that. It says if you've accepted him, if you're born again, you have the right to become something that you're not. 
Well, that caused me to study again. Hebrew culture was this. Unto us a child is born. You're all familiar with this, especially in the Christmas season. And then unto us a son is given. But from the time of birth to the time when a son is given, sometimes it's years of instruction and development of character. Because there was a, a, an appointed time that every father would expect something from their son, some level of maturity, something that the father alone would understand that he was looking for in that child, that when he finally reached that age, this is what the father would do. He would take that child to the gate of the city where all of the, the, the concourse of business, the rabbis would sit in, in, in judgment. All of this took place in the gate of the city. And he would say and declare at the top of his voice, today I adopt you as my son and joint heir. Now that's his child that was born to him. But on that day, he adopts him as his son and now he's the heir of the family. So there was a process of growing up into the place of maturity, the standard by which the father set that for him, before he entered into sonship privilege. This scripture alludes to that very thing. If you're born again, if you've accepted him, received him, you have the right to become. But there's a process. You notice in the natural, you don't see a mommy have a baby today and that baby comes out of the womb with a PhD, eloquent, can run, can drive, can fly. No, there's a process of growing up and we set standards within our cultures that say when that particular child can get their driver's license, get a specific job, become an airline. We always, God reflects the same thing in the natural. And so if we want to progress in the fullness of the promise of God at the end of the age, we've got to understand some basic things. Another thing is this. I was taught growing up in the church, you're all the bride of Christ. One day, Holy Spirit asked me the question, who's the bride of Christ? And I went, uh-oh. Because anytime he asks me a question, I know I've got to learn something new that I thought I knew. I said, well, Lord, um, my professors said, it was off the hook, that it's the church. He said, go back to the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, God created man. Man worked. God had a, prob I mean, a destiny for Adam. He, ha he had a job. He's created, now he has a job. But at some point, now listen, 2 Peter 3.8 says, A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. Adam was created on the sixth day. Somewhere on the sixth day. We don't know exactly when. So how long was he there toiling and doing what God had called him to until the Lord finally said, you know, it's not good that you're alone. So he put him into a deep sleep. And what did he do? He took a rib out of Adam's side. The, the rabbis believe it was the rib that was closest to his heart, and he created Eve. Holy Spirit said, did you notice we didn't clone Adam and the whole body became his bride? No, sir, I never saw that before. He said, let's go to Genesis 24. In Genesis 24, Abraham, who's a type of God the Father, 
Where do you get that? Because Abraham, just a few chapters earlier, had offered up Isaac, which is a type of Jesus, sends for his eldest servant. You have to go to Genesis 15 to find out the name of the eldest servant, which is Eliezer, and his name means helper or comforter. Well, that's pretty prophetic. So we have God the Father, a type of, a type of God the Son, and a type of the Holy Spirit, all in one chapter, Genesis 24. <clears throat> and he says to the eldest servant, I want you to go back to my family, and from my family bring forth a bride for my son Isaac. He didn't say bring the whole family. But from the family you'll find a bride. In the same way, the whole church is not the bride of Christ. There are qualifications, Revelations 19, verse 7 and 8. I'm not going to read that to you. You can look that up later. Be students of the word. And so, Jesus said, as many as received them, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Hmm. What's in a name? Proverbs 18.10 says this. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You ever wondered what that meant? How can you run to the name while you're running to the person? Not really. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. How do you get a name that's a strong tower? Let me give you the meaning and the definition. The character of the Lord as a bastion of strength. This is the translation. The righteous are conformed to it and they're safe. That's accurate according to the Hebrew. Does that make sense? Are you still awake? Oh, okay. <clears throat> so when John 1.12 says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his character and authority, his name. Those who believe in his character and authority. Jesus said, Father, I've come in your name. I've come in your character. I've manifested your character to those you gave me out of the world. What does that mean for us? Jesus said, the works I do, you do also. You are called to manifest the character of the Lord. We always take John 14, 12 to mean the spectacular, miraculous, ooh, ah, wow moment. But the supernatural is manifesting the character of God every day, Everywhere you are. That's what Jesus did, and he lived a supernatural life. And it's because he walked in that, that he had grace without measure, and he also had extraordinary signs, wonders, and miracles that followed him. I said followed him. He didn't chase signs, wonders, and miracles. They followed him because he was manifesting the character of the Father. 
There is the bedrock of the supernatural lifestyle right there. Romans 8, 28, 29 says that Jesus Christ is the firstborn among many. The highest calling of a believer is to become like Jesus. The greatest gift we can return to the Lord is to submit to the process of the development of Christ-like character so that when people look at you, they see Him. That is the supernatural lifestyle you are called to. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were at the gate beautiful. They healed the lame man and the, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the lawyer were angry. We thought we got rid of this problem when we crucified that man named Jesus of Nazareth. Now here you are again. They locked him in prison because the hour was late. And the next day they brought him before the council and said, we can see you are ignorant and unlearned people, but we can tell you've been with Jesus. When's the last time somebody could tell you have been with Jesus? Or do we blend in? We become exceptional chameleons in our life. Or does the character of the Father quantify who you are? At the end of the age, mature sons and daughters of God will be revealed. Those who have allowed themselves to go through the process that God requires to bring forth mature sons. Amen or oh no? Now it's interesting, all throughout Scripture, we see examples of this. In Genesis 17, verse 5, the Lord speaking to Abraham. You know the promise that Abraham had. He's going to have descendants as the sand of the sea and the stars of heaven. It says, no longer shall your name be called Abram. This is a communication with the Father. He's saying, Abram, you have a destiny. My hand is upon you. My promise is upon you. But I have to do something about your character before I can release your destiny. So no longer is your character Abram. I'm changing your character today to Abraham. The ha is a derivative of the name of God. God gave him a facet of the character that he has. Your name will from this day forward be Abraham. I've changed your character. You went from being an exalted father to a father of, mul of multitude. That's the difference. So before Abra Abram could fulfill his destiny, there had to be something worked out in him to position him with the character that the father needed to release the destiny and the promise that the father had for his life. Then he said this, As for Sarai, your wife, her character will no longer be Sarai. Verse 15, but Sarah, another derivative of the name of the father. She went from being princess to princess of a multitude. Every one of us has the privilege to grow up into him and see our character, our name changed to become like him so that we manifest the character of the Father. 
I was sharing in one of the other services. When I went to Bible college, I was 20 years old when I finally went to Bible college. Not that I was a late bloomer, I was working. But I went to Bible college, okay? And at the same time, I was working at TBN, Christian Television. And at the same time, I was taking Rhema Correspondence Course with Kenneth Hagin. And at the same time, I was studying the Berean Course. To say I love the Word of God and the God of Word is, it doesn't, I mean, I can't get enough. Even today, you ask my wife, she gets distraught sometimes. I'll have my desk with books. I mean, I've got 84 different versions of the Bible, word study books. Yeah, I can do it on the computer, but they're not books. Books are better. So, I was going to Bible college, but I was also working at the studio. And as I shared, I would see the character, how people carried themselves that were walking in tremendous anointings. I remember meeting Dr. Richard Eby. He wrote the book, Caught Up Into Paradise. He had died. And Jesus just oozed out of every pore. I mean, it, you looked at him and you looked like a little, here was this little gentleman of, of, of love manifested. It was amazing. You could tell he had had an encounter with God. Genuine. Why? Because he was transformed. Betty Maltz, My Glimpse of Eternity, she wrote that book. She had died and was brought back. And just Jesus would ooze out of her, and you could tell she'd had a transformative experience with God. But then you'd also meet these others that would study and could give you profound insight from the Word, but their character didn't match the gift. I learned that you can have authority and a gift without character. But you will never, listen to me, you will never see a man or a woman of Christ-like character who does not have the full range of Christ-like authority. They were walking in a little bit. They had perfected the gift that was in them. But if you want the authority of Jesus in the manner that Jesus walked, you've got to have the character of Christ. And that is one of the reasons why we have such great difficulty praying through in certain areas because we have not cultivated the character of Christ, we have pursued the giftings of Christ. Jesus himself divested himself of heaven, glory, the eternal realm, and he came and humbled himself. He came as a servant. He submitted himself for tutors, you know, for 30 years even though at the age of 12 he had more insight and understanding than all the elders of Israel, all the teachers of Israel. He had more understanding. But he went and submitted himself until the time appointed of the Father. And at 30 years of age, when he was released to go be baptized by John in the Jordan, when he came up out of the water, there was a voice that spoke. This is my beloved Son. He was released then into his destiny. Thirty years of character development for three and a half years of ministry. We think four years of Bible college prepares us for 35, 40 years of ministry. We are wrong. We've got it backwards in the Western world. God's looking for men and women that will submit to a process of becoming like him. You know... Have you ever read the book, God, books, God's Generals? 
awesome stories and testimonies and biographies of men and women that have been anointed of God throughout the years that started out in tremendously, but the vast majority of, majority of them didn't end well. They ended up in error or falling into some type of sin. Why? Because they were motivated and they were promoted because of a gift, not because of the fruit of character. Are you hearing me? Don't follow gifting. Look at the fruit and the character because the devil has more gifting in his little finger than you can imagine. And he's willing to share that with you to lead you astray. Follow the fruit. Follow the character. And stay in the place of discerning and safety. Look for character. That's what you look for. Then we have the story of Jacob in Genesis 32, one of my favorite stories. Jacob's name, Jacob, means heel catcher, supplanter, and deceiver. I call him a used camel salesman. You ever bought a used car? In America, all those used car salesmen are liars. You know, they tell you how wonderful the car is, and you pull it off the lot, and it falls, falls apart right outside the driveway there. <laughs> so he's just a deceptive individual. And you look at his life, he deceived his brother Esau, so, who sold his birthright for a, pot, a bowl of pottage. And his mother helped him to deceive their father when he already had a prophetic word that said the, el the elder will serve the younger, but they're going to help God. See, we've all done this. I have a prophetic word on my life. God, come on, let's go. I'm going to show you how this is done, Lord. We've got to do this, this, and this. For years I was told, you do your part, God will do his part. In other words, if you've got a word, get out there and do something. No, if you've got a word, this is your part. Father, how are we going to do this? Well, brother, use common sense. No, you keep your common sense. I want supernatural sense. I've got the mind of Christ. Stop being snared by the world system and by the opinions of the world. And stop. We've got to stop copying the world and bringing that into the church. The church should be influenced by the I mean, the world should be influenced by the church, but we've had it backwards. So we have Madison Avenue marketing techniques in the church. We have corporate structure. Go back to the Word and see what kind of structure Jesus initiated. A little bit different. I'm picking on all of us. Not, I'm picking on me too. Because where one of us goes, all of us goes. We're a body. So Jesus calls Jacob, I mean, Jacob has this destiny on his life. And at the birth of his son, something shifts in his heart. He's going, you know what? This is the continuation of this prophetic promise. Something shifts. He's got to get his heart right with the Lord. So he's going to go back to Esau, even though he doesn't know if Esau is going to receive him. He thinks he might go back and die. So he, you know, brings all these gifts, his wives and his whole family, and he says, look, he comes to the dark night of his soul. He sends them across the Ford Jabbok, and he stays at the Ford Jabbok, and he wrestles all night with God, the dark night of the soul. This is what Jabbok means, to be poured forth and become transparently empty. That's what the meaning of that name is. That's the character of that name. So at the dark night of his soul, he's wrestling, being poured forth, emptying himself of who he thinks he is and becoming transparently empty so that it becomes evident who he is. And so this angel, 
Many believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ. I have that belief. He's wrestling and he says, let me, the, the Lord says, let me go. The day is dawning. He says, no, Lord, not till you bless me. Fine. Ugh. Knocks his hip out. What kind of blessing is that? Careful what you ask for. God's ways are not your ways. Well, God would never cripple me. No, he bless you, though. Why is that a blessing? Because this man named Jacob had been headstrong, stubborn, and did whatever he thought he needed to do all of his life to fulfill the destiny of God. And now God says, let me help you. No longer can you rely upon your own strength to get you where you want to go. Hmm. He said, okay, not good enough. I'm still not going to let you go till you bless me. So the Lord says, okay, what's your character? What's your name? And for the first time in Scripture, do you find he's honest? Well, he just gave his name. Yeah, I'm heel catcher, supplanter, deceiver. I'm just not a nice guy. And the Lord says, no longer. I'm changing your character to Israel, one who rules as God or prince of God. In that dark night of brokenness, his character was changed. So now he walks in the character. And you study the scriptures, you'll find from that point on, the life of Jacob and the way he communicated was vastly different. He doesn't say much after that, but when he speaks, he speaks as an oracle of God. Character. Our character must change. Amen, brother. Thank you. I'm reminded of the praying prodigal. Remember Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son? Good story. These are parables of the kingdom. First is the lost sheep, then the lost coin, then the lost son, the prodigal. All about the kingdom. So it says of the prodigal, a certain man had two sons. If it's parables of the kingdom, pay attention to God saying, God the Father has two sons, Jew and Gentile. The younger, the Gentile, says, Father, give unto me my inheritance. That's really rude. That's immature. But the Father gives it to him because he knows what's going to happen. God the Father knows everything that's going to happen in your life. And so the son gets his inheritance and decides he's not going to stay submitted to the father and submitted to the house. He's going to take his gift, his inheritance, and he ran off into a far country. And there he wasted what God had blessed him with on prodigous living, riotous living. He began to mix and mingle with the world. He became so desolate, so empty and dry that he joined himself to some, a man in the world. See, this is a perfect picture of the falling away, of backsliding. You don't do what the Father says to do with your gift. You go off and do your own thing to the point you're, you're, you're hollow, you're empty, and then you're willing to compromise and, and, and commingle with the world and, because you, you've lost that love and feeling. I won't sing it. <laughs> then he begets so desperate that he is willing to live in the pig pen and feed the swine. He's starving. And it says, he came to himself. The light finally came on. You know what? In my father's house, even the servants eat well. I know what I must do. I've got to go back to the father and say, Father, 
I repent, forgive me. Make me a servant. What? He went from give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy, give me, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy, to Father, make me a servant. So he's going back to his father. He's still filthy. But the father, this type of God, the father, sees that son returning, and he runs and grabs him. you got to know that's how the Lord does you. He doesn't care if you're there with your filthy garments. He runs and loves you. And he begins to rehearse this thing. Father, Ivan, he said, hey, hey, bring out the best robe, the greatest mantle. What? Bring the signet ring. Now he can conduct himself as a mature son and put sandals on his feet because this my son who was lost in gimme, 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 I want the miracles, has now said, Father, make me, is alive when he was dead. I submit to you today, the vast majority of the church is still dead because they're out there with gimme, 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 instead, Father, make me. Character is more important than gifting. Character is more important than what you consider miraculous. Because if you have the foundation of Christ-like character, the miraculous is the norm, not the exception. Don't shout me down, that's good preaching. And I'm not even a preacher. <laughs> In Exodus 9:16 it says, "But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name, my character may be declared in all the earth." <clears throat> There's your message, the character of the Father. One of my favorite favorite stories, you know, I Y'all have favorite scriptures, right? You know, in the old days, the scriptures didn't have numbers, chapter breaks. So my scripture begins in Genesis 1 and ends in Revelations 22. I just got one. The whole book. One of my favorite heroes of the faith is Elijah. I've studied the life of Elijah for a lot of years. Every book and every research thing I can find on it because I'm fascinated with this prophet that came out of nowhere. First time you see Elijah is in 1 Kings 17. The first, I better be careful how I say that. The first prophetic acts that he began to walk in that we recognize. And he prophesies, let the, there's going to be no dew nor rain these years until I speak again. Never been done before in the history of, of Israel. And then the Lord, after he prophesies, says, I want you to go camp by the brook Kareth. And there I'm going to have a carrion bird, those things that good Hebrew boys don't get near, feed you in the morning and the evening. Carrion bird, they eat dead animals. Really? You're going to have that thing feed me? He doesn't argue. He goes and camps by the brook Kareth. And a raven in the morning and the evening brings him food. And he drank of the brook. Now remember, he's camping there. After a season, the brook dried up. What he prophesied over here became his deliverance over here. He didn't know that. He just following the leading of the Spirit. But here's what careth means. <clears throat> In the Hebrew, the word, the name, means circumcision and cutting. You see, Elijah had a profound destiny. He doesn't know the extent of his destiny. Only the Father did. 
So the Lord began a process in his life of a deeper consecration, circumcision and cutting of his heart. That's the true Israel of God. To prepare him for this destiny. He said, this is a temporary encampment. You're going to camp here. Then the brook dried up. And the Lord spoke to him again. He said, I want you to go to Zarephath. There I've provided or prepared a widow woman to take care of you. Lord, I'm a good Hebrew. We take care of widows and orphans. They don't take care of us. He didn't argue. He went to live. The Lord said, dwell in Zarephath. That's where you're going to live for the rest of your sojourn on this earth. Zarephath means puring, refining, and effusing together with. Purifying and refining. It speaks of the fire that's, that's kindled seven times hotter so that you come out as a vessel of honor. So now he just camped at Kareth, a deeper work of sanctification, so he could live in the fiery furnace of purification where he becomes purified. He becomes more like the Lord. That speaks of character. After whatever season he's there, and while he's there, you see miracles. You see the woman provided for for the drought, her sons raised from the dead, all sorts of wonderful things that had never been seen before. <clears throat> so this process of character development releases you to a supernatural lifestyle through obedience. Then he says, now go up to count Mount Carmel, the place of my glory. We always cry out, Lord, we want your glory, we want your glory. I'm showing you the road map. This is how you get there. By the way, <clears throat> the glory on Mount Carmel was a place of confrontation. When that glory came, it consumed the flesh. We keep crying out for a visitation of God's glory, not even knowing what we're asking for. Why don't we just get it right and say, Lord, come and kill us. That's your flesh, not your... Do you, you, you understand? When the glory comes, flesh won't stand. And by the way, when you have so many people telling you they've had face-to-face -face encounters with God, or they get, 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 look, you look for the fruit. Because if they speak one way and they live another way, don't believe them. Get away from them. Amen. I'll even throw this out at you. If you have somebody coming in and having to tell you, I'm prophet profound and I'm anointed, here's my card, here's my video, just run. Get away from that garbage. Scripture says a man's gift will make room for them. They don't have to say a word. It'll be evident. It's pride and arrogance that has to tout a title. True men and women of God in this hour are going to walk with Christ-like humility. They won't have to say, I'm this, I'm that. It'll be evident what they are. Another good place for an amen. <clears throat> So he goes to Mount Carmel, and you know that story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Dry air in here, like the desert. So he goes to Mount Carmel, and one, one prophet against 850 false prophets, 400 of Baal, 450 of Ashtaroth. Doesn't Psalm 91 said, one will put 1,000 to flight? He still had some room. He could have taken on a few more. After that victory, where God proves himself by his presence in fire, he goes up to the top of the mountain. Now he's tired, but he's, he's sitting, he said, with his head between his legs. That's a, that's a posturing of worship in the Old Covenant. 
And he sends his servant. He said, I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. Go look. The servant does that seven times. Like, we've been to Mount Carmel a few times. I wouldn't want to run up that mountain ever, you know, no, seven times. I wouldn't even make it one. Used to make it seven back in the day. We all have those back in the day things. Finally, the servant says, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. I, I could hear the desperation. Oh, please tell me this is it. And Elijah said, that's it. See, only a prophet could say, yep, yep, that's the abundance of rain, that little cloud. Now go tell Ahab to run. This servant better be, you know, trusting. Because if you tell Ahab to run because the abundance of rain and and it happens just as Elijah said. And Elijah gets up and outruns the chariot. How'd you like to do that at 58 years old? I see we got no volunteers, okay. <clears throat> then the next day, Jezebel, because Ahab went and tattled, killed all my prophets. She said, oh, really? Give that man a message. See if I don't do you tomorrow about this time what you did to my prophets. First Kings 19, it says, when Elijah saw that, he ran. Saw what? This skinny little messenger? He just killed 850. And we got this little guy that runs all the, the scroll? No. Pay attention to this. When that message was spoken to him, See if I don't do to you about this time tomorrow what you've done to my prophets. He saw 850 heads being cut off. And what he saw became his reality, and he ran. That's why Jesus says in Matthew, if a man looks at a woman to lust, he's already committed adultery because your imagination becomes your reality. Pay attention. Make a covenant with your spiritual eyes, your inner eyes, not to look at anything that would defile you. That means don't ponder on things that you shouldn't be thinking about or imagining or seeing. That's what gets you in trouble. That's what got him in trouble. He runs. He hides under a terebinth tree, and he says, I, just kill me. I want to go home. I've had enough. I can't take anymore. Sounds like a lot of Christians I know. Even Paul did that, by the way. They despaired of life. That's normal in your Christian and your life experience. It's normal. So God sends an angel and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Just leave me alone. I'm going to die. He gives him some food. Eat this. So he's, he's got a waiter from heaven serving him food. The next day, he, say, he comes back. He said, what are you doing here? I just want to die. He said, eat this. This will strengthen you for the journey ahead. And he went in the strength of that meal for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 speaks of testing. Now you've got to know, Elijah is one of the first renowned prophets. I mean, Moses and those had uh, signs and wonders of power, but Elijah was known as the prophet of power. He runs to the mountain of God, Mount Horeb. What's Horeb? It means desolation and despair. That's the mountain of God? Of course it is. Where do you think you find him? 
in your seasons of brokenness, your eyes are open to know him even better. So he's in Mount, the Mount, of, Mount Horeb, the desolation of despair, Mount Sinai, the same place the tablets of stone came. And all of a sudden, there's an earthquake. But God wasn't in the earthquake. Then there's a great wind that pulverizes even the boulders, but God wasn't in the... See, he's showing him the spectacular. And then fire comes, and he's not in the fire. But in this place of brokenness, where his identity had been a prophet of power, he hears a still small voice, the voice of intimacy. A voice he's not heard before. And God says, come up here. Come higher. I'm going to teach you how to walk above despair and desolation. All this is a process of reaching his destiny. All of these are signposts, stopping points for every believer in their progression in the development of Christ-like character. So then he says, go find your your sidekick, you're going to mentor somebody to take over for you. He finds Elisha. The next thing we see in this colorful life of Elijah is a chariot of fire comes down. Now, he wasn't looking for that. I'll guarantee you at Kareth, he had no idea about a chariot of fire. He never would have reached that if he hadn't gone through a process of conformity to the character of the Father. And he's taken up into heaven. He doesn't taste death. But see, his destiny still isn't over. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. The saints at the end of the age are coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We look in Mark chapter 9. He's face to face with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's still carrying on his ministry, even in heaven, from heaven. <clears throat> and it says at the end of the age, he's going to return too. So you don't know your destiny. God has planned for you exceeding abundantly above all you could ask, think, or imagine. But if you don't submit to a process, you'll never see it. And that's the most important thing in the Christian life if you want to walk in the supernatural is to submit to the process. Because there are very few men and women of Christ-like character in the earth. I'm telling you. There's more coming forth now than ever before. But the church has been devoid of that much of the time. You still with me? We're still friends? Okay. In Leviticus 22:32, it says this: "You shall not profane my holy name. You shall not profane my holy character, but I will be revered among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You know, priests, we're called to be priests and kings. Priests were to be separated from all ungodly customs. They were to live pure and blameless lives that honored God and followed His plans. Failure to do so would profane the name of God. To profane means to stain dishonor, or treat the Lord's character as something that's not holy. <clears throat> it's no different for those of us that are called to be kings and priests in this hour. God expects His people to live 
in a way that honors Him. He commands them to show evidence of holiness by living lives that are pure and separated from evil. We are in the world, but not of the world. We can no longer blend in and do what the world does. It must be evident that we're different, not superior, different. The difference will start with a true Christ-like humility, not an arrogance. Arrogance and haughtiness are not of God. Humility. And God begins to do something. It's interesting to note that some of the greatest men and women of God used throughout the ages were men and women of humility, brokenness, and character. Walked in extraordinary authority. Saw extravagant miracles from the throne. We failed to recognize the pattern. Again, it's human nature. All of us do this, everyone. We gravitate towards the spectacular. Wow, did you see that miracle? Wow, that person's really anointed. <clears throat> we just pointed in the wrong direction. If a miracle points you to a man or a woman, you're looking in the wrong direction. It should point you to Jesus. Always. It's time we entered into God's secret service where they see Jesus but not us, where they recognize his voice but not yours, where we don't receive the accolades of men, we point to him. Hallelujah. Let's look at some New Testament passages. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your character. Funny, I thought I just read that. Yeah. His character is holy, is to be revered. How about this? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied with Christ-like character in your name? For $100, of course. Stay away from that. I just started getting that holy anger again. Ugh. Cast out demons with Christ-like character in your name. Only took us 12 hours to get that brother free. And done many wonders in your name with Christ-like character. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. There's no similarity between you and me. You did it for your own reasons, for your own acclaim, and without asking me. You know, the mercy of God on my life. I didn't start with a capacity to, to see in the realm of the Spirit or to see the Lord, and that's for a different message, but what I did start seeing was demons. So many people have come up to me and said, oh, I only see demons, I don't want it. I said, are you out of your mind? If you can see demons, they can't sneak up on you. 
but they're so ugly. Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> now you know where Hollywood gets some of their influence. So I started out that way. I remember once <clears throat> was with a friend on the freeway in Los Angeles going down the road, and she's driving, and all of a sudden went, ow! And I went, and I'm looking out. I said, what? Well, I had this pain, and I turned and looked. She said, I had this pain in my shoulder yesterday, and they prayed, and it left, but it's back. And I went, oh, is it right here? She said, my God, how did you know that? That's exactly it. I said, oh, she's driving 80 miles an hour. I'm not going to tell her there's a demon sitting there. I said, oh, the Lord showed me. I said, be gone in the name of Jesus. And this demon flew out the window, hit the slipstream, and went, foo. She goes, oh, it's gone. Okay. Once we stopped, I told her. <laughs> I didn't want to, anyway. But before I even commanded it to go, I asked the Lord, what should I do? He said, get rid of it. Did you hear me? Just because I see doesn't mean I have authority. While the Bible says you have authority to tread on serpents, and I'm under authority, so are you. Just because you have the authority doesn't mean you have the authority. Or you've been released to use that authority. You only do what he tells you to do. You'll save yourself years of trouble. Years of trouble. There was this brother, remember in the 80s, they were doing the spiritual mapping and taking your cities for God and you know, they would plan out a strategy and they'd get together and march and command and cast down and do all these wonderful things. And I, I'm not against that, I, but I've always said, show me that in the Bible. Again, we're doing the 47-step process instead of one. Lord, what are you saying? So that, that was... So I, I, I'm watching this, and one day this brother in Los Angeles, they had just come from this conference, and he's all pumped, like, wah! And he decides he's going to command the principality over Los Angeles to get out. So he's driving down the freeway again. <laughs> Those are dangerous roads. Demons all over. Anyway, <laughs> he starts commanding this thing gone, and all of a sudden a demon manifests in the car with him and starts shredding him. I mean, just, he's got the marks on his body and his clothes are torn, and he goes, ah, he starts screaming and almost cries, Jesus, and he pulls over to the side of the road and he's terrified. And he said, finally said, God, what happened? What was that? The Lord said, I did not give you permission to command that thing to come down. That is not your purview or sphere of influence. Or as we would say today, that's well above your pray grade. You do what you're told to do and nothing more. He learned a hard lesson. And so that's how the Lord would teach me. I would see these things. I mean, some big, some small. And I'd say, Lord, what are you saying? That's my language with God. Does that mean I should bind this thing? Can I take a sword and cut his head off? What do you want me to do? Sometimes he'd say, I just want you to be aware. Sometimes he'd say, intercede. Tell the individuals, command it to go. You're under authority. So why do we do things with a knee-jerk reaction? Because we think we're something when truth says we're really nothing. That's what the Word says. We're under authority. If you just begin to dialogue with God, you'll never fail. Let me say that again. If you dialogue with God and hear what he says, and then you do that, you will never fail. And that's character. Because Jesus said in John 5, 19, of my own self, I can do nothing. Wow. Jesus couldn't do anything? 
No, he only did what he saw the Father doing. And Lord, I came to manifest your character, and this is the character that you have me walking in, so I don't do anything without you telling me first. Whole different realm of existence to be led of the Spirit. <clears throat> not of a program, not of an intellectual ascent, but to so be in love with Jesus that you know his very heartbeat that you can say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? And he tells you. Let me give you a, 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 an example in my life. We were ministering in S Singapore. And um, we were in a particular church. <clears throat> the lady who had invited us, we, we got to minister to the youth that day. We found out she had brain cancer. And they, they had been trying everything they could. Nothing was working. But So she's there and... And she came up for prayer. She told us what she had. And I went, okay, Father, what are you saying? He said, take a step back. Now close your eyes and pull out the sword of the Spirit I gave you and pierce her with it, pierce her heart. So I stepped back, closed my eyes, pulled out the sword. of the, you, you know, the sword of the Word of God is sheathed in your heart. Pulled out the sword. And I just went, wham, didn't touch her. My eyes are closed. But I saw it pierce her heart. I opened my eyes and she dropped. She was down for about two minutes, got up. That was on a it was Sunday. On Tuesday, she went to the doctor. There was no brain cancer. Now, that's not look at me. That's look at him. I did what he said. If I had just laid hands on her like everybody else had been doing, without inquiring of the Lord what to do, I would have put another Band-Aid on a symptom when God wanted to get to a, the root. That's the point I'm making. You do what God tells you to do and you will see the results God wants. That's a hard lesson to learn because I was programmed through my upbringing in the church of what to do. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Back in the 70s, you know, it was always get out the oil. Got to anoint with oil. Well, there's a place for that, of course. It's scriptural. But you call for the elders of the church who will anoint with oil. Little problem there. We picked people to be elders that had no character, no foundation of scripture, but they were wealthy. So we're going to put them in leadership positions. Oops. Scripturally, elders had to be at least 60 years of age of good reputation and well-taught in Scripture. And the smearing of oil in the Hebrew culture has a, a metaphor that really means they would smear you or they would impress into you the very Word of God and then they would pray and you'd be healed. So that's the principle, that's the metaphor. So it just became common. We're going to have a healing line and... Get the oil, get the oil. We're going to anoint everybody with oil. Sometimes they get exuberant and pour it over you and wreck your clothes. But that's okay because it's anointed. I'm being funny now. I'll tell you the truth. One time I got a brand new pair of, of uh, gator skin boots. I mean, saved a lot of money. To, I mean, I saved money to get these things. They're beautiful, tan, loved them. This brother said, the Lord told me to anoint you with oil. I'm thinking, okay. No, he puts it all over his hands, gets down and touches my boots. <laughs> Left a handprint on my boots. And I'm like, ah, 
needless to say, it was hard to receive anything. Anyway. <laughs> I said, okay, I got some nice oil and fixed them. But anyway, I learned how to fix them. And so let me tell you a true story. Back in the Midwest of America, there's this old farmer, bib overalls, you know, just kind of a, has some cows and different things. And one day one of his cows gets sick. He's a believer. His cow gets sick and he's read the Bible. It says lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But he also read James. He got anointed with oil. But he's out in the field. I don't have oil. So he went, put his hand on his cow and prayed and the cow was healed. He started getting a reputation. Other farmers would say, would you come over? I got some sick cows. And he'd pray and they'd get healed. I love that kind of faith. <clears throat> so they have them at the Almost of God Church. Never mind, that's a denomination. That... And so he gives this testimony and the pastor says, okay, we're going to have a healing line now. Those that want Farmer Brown, you go over there and he'll pray for you. And I and the elders will stand here. And so they get their oil. There's a line here and a line here. And so Pastor Brown... They drop, get up totally healed, and the pastor, the elders over there going. Nothing's happening here. And these people walk over here and get healed. I said, what's going on? Formula. Worship. They had a formula. He had a hard attitude. They learned. Do what the Lord says, not the formula. You still with me? So we'll be praying for people. No. <laughs> now I'm ready. Or Jesus would spit in the dirt, make mud. If you want your eyes prayed for, we can do that too. <laughs> so. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. <clears throat> Makes a little more sense now. Everybody's going, what's the reward of a prophet? Well, you know, they lay on one side for 365 days naked. They're thrown in pits. They're tor Never mind. No. He who receives a prophet in the character of a prophet. Or who receives the character of that prophet? The character in which he comes is going to receive that reward. Now pay attention. That's why it's so imperative you judge fruit and character. Because if you're receiving a character that is not like Jesus, that's the reward you're going to receive. Ouch. <clears throat> not good. He who receives a righteous man with the character of a righteous man shall receive that reward. <clears throat> so now you know the reward is God will impart a measure of that righteous character into you. I like that. That's Matthew 10, 41. Matthew 12, 21 says, And in His name Gentiles will trust. In the character of Christ, Gentiles will trust. You know what? Here's what we've done in the church. <clears throat> now hear my heart, not just the words, because I'm not coming against anybody in anything I'm saying. If anything, I'm revealing me. 
because the Lord taught me this and showed me what I was walking in. But here's the thing. We take the banner, the name of Jesus, and think it's a magic wand. Do you know there are apostate movements in the world today, churches where Ichabod is written over them, there's no, no spirit, yet they wave that banner, we're Christians. We come together in the name of Jesus, but he's nowhere to be found. It's not a magic wand. The principle is the foundation that we must focus on. So where two or more of you are gathered together with Christ-like character, he's in that midst. Not just a banner that woo-woo. Because you could have a rancid heart filled with all sorts of vileness and still wave that flag and think Jesus is there. We have been misled. I'm not against praying in the name of Jesus. If you understand what that really means, I'm praying with the character of Christ and investing that so you receive that reward, not the reward of magic wand. Are you understanding that? Please understand that. I'm not against praying in the name of Jesus, especially now that you understand what he's communicating. Christ-like character receives Christ-like reward. Vastly different. I, I wish, you know, it's the fullness of God's time, but I wished I had learned this years ago. It would have saved me years of stumbling through dark places, trying to connect with the reality of the Word of God and the God of the Word. That's Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together with Christ-like character, my name. I am there in the midst of them. Therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name, in the character, in the authority. Now listen, that means you must be a carrier of that character and that authority to baptize them and release to them a measure, a starting place of that character and authority progressing in their life. You know, here's, here's a challenge to every one of you. When you lead somebody to the Lord, again, where I was brought up, you have the multiple steps. They get saved. They come to New Believers class. I believe they should. They should have a foundation. They're not against that. Then we talk about the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism in water and then the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Then we talk about maybe going to Bible college and then maybe ministry. Hmm. When I went to Bible college, I was in school. I was in there one month. I was praying for my friends that were getting healed and, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I was abruptly told, you stop that. You have no authority to do that. I, I, I was shocked. I went, uh, what Bible do you read? I thought I was in a cult. I was going, Jesus said to go do this, and you say I don't have, what do you mean? You haven't been through our Bible college yet. You have no authority to preach or lay hands on deep people. Oh, did Peter get that memo? What about James? I bet you James got it. No, James didn't get it. In other words, the tradition of man usurped the place of the position of the Word of God that says, go ye into all the world and preach saying and doing. See how dangerous religion can be. Should you have a foundation of the Word? Sure. That comes. 
but I'm not stopping anybody for praying for somebody in the name of the Lord. I might come alongside and coach and say, you're doing great, let's keep going, but let me show you some things. That's, that's crazy. I was told for years, you can't, you won't, and it's never going to happen. I can, I've done, and it always happens now. Don't ask me to repeat that. So you lead them to the Lord with this. When I pray for you and you accept Jesus, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to begin to speak in tongues. Your spiritual eyes will be open and you'll be able to see in the realm of the Spirit and you'll see Jesus. You're going to have an ability to discern. I mean, you start giving them what took us years to get to and you build that into them from the start. And when you lead them to the Lord, immediately they're walking in that. We've watched it. One time here in the Malaysia, we were invited to a, an individual's home and they said, well, our maid, you know, she got saved. We gave her a Bible, but we've left it there and she's been reading through the Bible and now she wants to be baptized. Would you mind doing that? And I'm, you know, we're on the way. Why didn't you tell me before we started? That's what I was thinking. He said, but we don't have a pool. I said, well, he said, we don't even have a bathtub. All we got is a shower. Oh, I said, that's crazy enough. I'm in. So we got there. She was in her, you know, short pants and a T-shirt. I said, this is what's going to happen now. This is what baptism is. This is what it signifies. But when you get under these waters of baptism, when we turn this on, you're going to immediately be filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues and have these experiences. We turned that thing on and she immediately, and, I mean, she didn't want to come out of the shower. Finally, the guy said, look, we got to eat. you got to come out. <laughs> See, you build that expectation. That's where we should start people. My dad taught me this for years. He said this to me over and over and over, and we taught this all over the world. My ceiling, the place I have grown up to in Christ at this point, my ceiling is now your floor. All that he's invested in me has become your starting point as I invested in you. You don't have to go through years of struggle to receive what I've struggled for years to get to. It becomes your floor. You see this throughout history and in the history of the church. Every past move of God has built, has built, has built until we come to the end of the age where the crescendo is, a great awakening and the return of Messiah. Amen, brother. Okay, I'll couple more minutes. Here's what Jesus said, John 5, 43. <clears throat> I have come in my Father's name. I've come in my Father's character. And you don't receive me, but if another comes in his own character, you'll receive him. They manifestly rejected the character of the Father that was in Christ because they had the character of the elders and the traditions of those elders that took a preeminent position even over the Word of God. As a matter of fact, in Hebrew culture, the rabbis have said this and taught their people this for generations, that it's the rabbis got entrusted with Torah, and they're the only ones that can really interpret it, and so because they can interpret it, their opinion is higher than the Word. Tradition. Hmm. So, whatever you ask the Father in my name, that I will do. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When you come before the Father with Christ-like character and you ask, He will give it to you because you're not going to ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own lusts because you have the character of Christ. That's not even in the picture. You ask according to character and you receive according to that character. Am I making sense? So this was the end result of all of this study. I began to do things a little bit differently in the church. I would have healing lines. And I would ask each individual, what is your need? They'd tell me, how are you going to know you're healed? Uh, by faith. I said, excellent. What does faith look like? What? What is it that needs healing in your body? Well, I need a new hip joint. So what does faith look like? A new hip joint. I agree. Move. Instantly healed. But you didn't pray in the name of Jesus. No, I'm practicing what he invested in me, the character of Christ. And I began to pray. Reshman, I begin to practice this. How are you going to know you're healed? No more pain. I agree. Your faith has made you whole. No more pain. Instantly healed. It's almost funny sometimes because people are expecting something else. Right? And they say, okay, pain, go. Now move. And they keep talking. I said, wait, 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 wait. Is there any pain? No. I guess you're healed then. I still pray in the name of Jesus. Of course I do. But I have an understanding of what that means. He's talking about we have the privilege to become mature sons and daughters of God. And in that place, the supernatural becomes natural to you. Everybody says it's second nature. Forget second. It's got to become first nature. It's got to become our reality. One last scripture. Well, I've got to tell you too, excuse me. Remember when Jesus came to the island of Gennesaret where the demonized man was? Scripture says that the name, the character of Jesus, every knee bows and every tongue confesses he's Lord. Jesus stepped out of the boat, boom. And that character of God so resonated in him, the demoniac came and fell at his feet. When you come in the character of Christ, wherever you're at, sickness bows its knee. The demon dies, bow their knee. Poverty bows its knee. Listen to me. You become like Peter, who would walk down the street and people would be healed because they came within the purview of that effulgence, that authority. They say the, sh the, the shadow. No, get that out of your mind because it portrays a picture of the sun's here, there's the shadow, you've got to walk on top of them, in the afternoon there, in the morning. No, it talks about the outward effulgence, the outward shining of the person and the character of Christ. So he just walked down the street and people were instantly healed. Why? Because it bowed its knee to the character of Christ in him. That's how you walk in this. So everywhere you go in a country where you're not supposed to evangelize, you are the message because you walk down the street and spontaneous combustion takes place as people are healed, delivered, and set free instantly without a word being spoken. Get that in your heart. This is the supernatural lifestyle and it's your portion. All you have to do is ask God.
And he will say, I've been waiting for you to ask. Now come and receive. It's that simple. This isn't rocket science. Unfortunately, in our Western cultures, we want rocket science too often. This is simple. Simple. Religion makes something simple difficult to attain. Relationship with God keeps things simple. You don't need 47 steps. You need one. Passion for Jesus. Lord, I want to know you. I just want to be like you. That's it. That's the equalizer. No Steve stunning evangelists or prophet profounds. He says, come as you are. I qualify the called. I don't call the qualified. So the question is to you this day, are you one of those who wants to walk like this? And if you are, then you just have to ask. So let's stand. I'm going to pray. This is between you and God. I could sit here and try and convince you all day. There's scripture after scripture after scripture. When you read your Bible from now on and you see the word name, underline it or circle it and know what it really means now, it will change your whole perspective and will change your walk with God to make it something vital, something that is supernatural that affects atmospheres around you. So we're going to pray. I'm going to pray over you. You pray. You start dialoguing with the Lord. And if you want to walk in this, you just agree. Close your eyes. Father, I have invested in them that message you gave me to share. Now, Father, I'm asking for grace upon them to receive your engrafted word that it will spring forth with newness of life within them, that they will make a decision to be conformed to the character of Christ. The highest calling of any believer is to be like Him in character so that they might walk in the authority of Christ in this last hour. Father, release it to them as they say, Yes, Lord. And it's not by might. It's not by power. It's only by Your Spirit. And You have grace and mercy upon us now, Lord, that You will set in place within us and reveal those things in us that You need to deal with the issues that have to be removed for our character to be changed. Thank you for that grace in this hour. Thank you for the quick work you're doing. Release your people to this now, Father, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.